So would you join me as we pray together? Our loving and our gracious God, the God who spoke and all things came into being, the God who gave names to each of us, the God who knows us, the God who calls us son and daughter. We come before you tonight to acknowledge that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the great I am. And when we acknowledge who you are, God, we can't help but be overwhelmed by who we are and all the ways in which we have failed. And so we come and we acknowledge our sin before you. And it is because we have acknowledged our sin before you that we can come straight before your throne through Jesus Christ and intercede on the behalf of those around us who have needs. We think of our brothers and sisters in Nairobi, Kenya, and all the people around the world who have been uh, affected, tormented by the events of these past few weeks. We pray, O oh God, that you would be a comforter. We pray, O oh God, that you would be the one who brings a peace, a peace that passes all understanding. We remember specifically members of our community who have been impacted, who carry this with them on a day-to-day -day basis. Would you lighten their load? Would you remind them often that you are God who is with them? Father, we too think of our friend and colleague, Shirley Hoogstra. We remember her and her family as they mourn the loss of her father. May they know that you are a God who watches over us, but watches over our coming and our going, that you are a God who knows each of our needs. Would you bring her comfort and peace? And Father, tonight we remember our friend Paul. We pray, God, that you would be watching over him this Tuesday as he has surgery. Would you guide the doctors and nurses who will care for him? Would you grant him peace and take away any anxiety or fear that he might carry into that room? May he know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are with him and that you hold him in the palm of your hands. And God, we lift up to you all the needs that are collected here. Many of us are worried about things back home. Many of us have burdens of, that are unnamed, that are, we are unable to speak of, and yet we know that you know them. And we know from your word that your spirit intercedes on our behalf for the things that we can't even find words to speak about. And so we entrust every need, every fear to your care, believing that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And so we gather all of these things up and we bring them before your throne, not because we are righteous, but because we come in the righteousness that Jesus Christ offers and provides to us. And we pray this all now in his name. Amen. Well, I have to begin with a, a confession. Uh, when I was, as I was preparing this week, I was a little bit nervous. And not nervous because I was going to be speaking in front of all of you, although anytime one gets up to speak in front of an audience, there are a few butterflies. I was nervous because I was going to be preaching to you on a familiar passage, uh, Ten Plagues. Many of us gathered here have probably uh, known them for a good long time. And so I was nervous about people thinking, oh, I already know this material. And then my fears were only reinforced when I met with the first-year student this week who said, you know, I asked how our classes were going. She said, oh, I really have this one class. I pretty much get to take it off. It's a chemistry class, and it's all review material. So I really don't need to pay very much attention anyway. 
I was like, wow, great, that's a huge relief. <laughs> Just reminding me when people think they know it all, they can tend to check out. And then I was thinking, I was uh, nervous that you were all going to check out 10 plagues. How are we ever going to cover that in any short amount of time? And people were going to start just sort of making their way towards the exits as we went one by one. Uh, But I'm I'm here and you're here, and so we are going to look at the plagues together. And I think that there is a lot for us to learn together. Uh, As I was thinking last week... uh, And listening to Pastor Mary's message, she said the the book of Exodus, and if you want, you can bring out your Bibles because we're going to be spending our entire time, I hope, with with one in your lap. Pastor Mary said the book of Exodus is about a fight. The book of Exodus is about a fight. If you were here, here last week, you heard her say that. And then early in my study of the passage, I found that one of the translations for the word plague is blow. Mary tells me it's about a fight. The commentary tells me it's about a blow, and I thought, we've got a fight on our hands. Now, when you're 6'6 and of my stature, you are often asked, do you play basketball? When you are 6'6 and my stature, you are never asked, are you a boxer? <laughs> so this is sort of my one chance. But as I was thinking about the, the plagues, I was thinking about this language about a fight. And how we have in front of us a 10-round match, a 10-round heavyweight match between Yahweh, the God of Israel, who is coming to claim his people, and he means business. So if you could imagine tonight as we look at the text together, there is a boxing ring in front of you, ropes along the sides, two corners with both of the heavyweight champions, and the one corner is Yahweh, and the other corner is Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt, and they are going to have a fight tonight. And there is going to be punches exchanged, and there are going to be counter punches exchanged, and at the end of it all, there is going to be a winner, and there is going to be a loser, and we are going to find out, is this God Yahweh who he says that he is? And so tonight, as we make our way through the text, if you can keep in your mind an image of a boxing match, there is a battle going on. There is a fight about to take place, and there are two sides. And I don't know about you, but I love drama. I love to see how something's going to turn out. And tonight, as we make our way through the text, I hope that you are sort of leaning forward in your seats wondering, how is this going to turn out? What is going to happen as we look at the text? Well, to, to begin, and we're going to just make our way through. We're not going to read a bunch and then talk. We're just going to work our way through the text. Tonight, we're going to start in chapter 5. It's where Pastor Mary began, began last week. And if you know anything about boxing, there are sometimes pre-fight press conferences where this, the, the two fighters come together, and they're going to say a few words, and usually they say something that they hope is going to incite anger on the other side. And Pharaoh takes the oldest, best insult in the book, If you are competing in politics or business or in athletics, there is one thing that you always know. You always, always, always know who your top top competitors are. You know them by name. You know their strengths and weaknesses. You know who they are. So in the beginning of chapter 5, Pharaoh has the ultimate insult, insult for Pharaoh or for Yahweh. Moses and Aaron, in the beginning of chapter 5, go to him and say, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh, 
And I have no doubt that he knew what he was doing. He says, who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I do not know his name. I will not let Israel go. He is taking a huge swing at Yahweh. He's saying, I don't even know your name. I know all the gods of Egypt. I know the gods of our neighboring countries. I know all of them because I have some level of fear or of respect for them. But Yahweh, I don't even know your name. Moses, Aaron, get out of here. You think you're going to come in and I'm going to listen to you because you claim the name of Yahweh? You have got to be kidding me. Pharaoh takes the first punch and lands it. Then we're going to move on and get closer to our own text. Turn over to a page, chapter 7. So we have Yahweh in this corner, and he's got a couple confidants with him. He has Moses and Aaron, and then we have over in the other corner, we have Pharaoh, and he has the wise men and sorcerers, some translation called magicians, in his corner. Well, you know anything about the story at all, you know that Moses is not feeling very confident in his role as confidant, as sort of support to Yahweh. And so Yahweh, sensing that Moses is feeling a little bit nervous, anxious, not sure he is up for the task, offers the best pep talk you have, anyone has ever received. Look at chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses, see I have made you like God to Pharaoh. You're feeling down about yourself? Have the God of the nations come and say, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. You want to talk about a warm slap on the back to say, Moses, you can do this. I am with you. And he goes on, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my people, the Israelites, company by company out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And then listen to this. This gets back to what's the fight all about? What's Yahweh's goal or purpose? The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out from among them. Folks, that's what it's all about. That's what this whole fight is about. Is Yahweh declaring and proving that he is the God of all gods. He is the ruler that needs to be respected. He is the dominant one. He will do whatever it takes to get as many people as possible, Egyptians, Israelites, anyone, to know that he is who he said that he is. Some consider the the next section, we're going to go to to verse 8 of chapter 7. Some consider the changing of the rod as actually the first plague. Some call it the first plague, others do not. But you may remember the story. Moses and Aaron come in and they are going to perform a sign. How do we know that your God is so powerful? And God says to them, throw down the staff and it's going to turn into a snake. Punch. This God has some power. Pharaoh's over here and says, hey, bring them together. What do we got for this? They throw down, their magicians throw down their staffs and it turns into a snake. Well, then something really significant happens. Aaron's staff comes and he eats the snakes of Pharaoh. Now, there's two things that are lost if you aren't 
more familiar with the text. Number one is this word for swallow is only used one other place in the book of Exodus, Bali. It's used in chapter 15 when Moses is singing his song after having made their way through the Red Sea. He says, Yahweh swallowed up the Egyptians in the Red Sea. It's foreshadowing. He's saying, what's just happened to your staff? Just wait, Pharaoh. Your day is coming. And he does it in another way. This, this word for snake is actually serpent or dragon. It is the most feared sort of image that you can imagine in your mind. And it was sometimes used as an image of Pharaoh himself. And so the fact that this comes, this word, tanin, comes, the Hebrew word, and he eats Pharaoh's snakes, tanin, is to say your very best Pharaoh isn't going to be good enough in this particular fight. You have no idea. You may not have known my name before, but you are going to know my name soon, Pharaoh, because my snake, my tanin, just ate yours. You are in for quite a fight. And yet Pharaoh remains hard-hearted, we read, and he will not let God's people go. So then we go on. We get to the, we get to the next plague, number two. And just trust me, we're not going to spend all that much time on each of these, so just stay with me. The, the first one is water, the Nile being turned into blood. The source of life in the ancient world is turned into blood. It is an all-out assault. It is a direct punch to the body of Pharaoh and to the Egyptian gods. Yahweh comes and he says, you think that you have all, everything all figured out, that you have everything that you need, and it is comes through the source of the Nile River. And there was an Egyptian god who was in charge of flooding the Nile River every single year. And that's what created the great fertility and the amazing return on all of the the crops there. And Yahweh says, you're Egyptian god of the Nile. Uh, I'm so sorry. But I'm going to turn all that water into blood. And instead of being a source of life, it is going to be a symbol of death. Impressive. But Pharaoh in this corner says, okay, huddles with his team in his corner and says, okay, what can we do? And I don't know about you, but if I'm in this camp, I'm thinking they just turned all of our water in the Nile River and everywhere else into blood. Perhaps we could turn it back into water. Doesn't that seem to make some sense? Like if you're going to show off your level of power, like you turned it into blood, that's really bad for us. We're going to turn it into water. But what do they do? They take whatever water they had found along the edge of the Nile River and any other place there was still water, and they turn that into blood. (laughs) Right? You're in a fight. Your opponent comes up to you and wallops you in the face. And you're dazed and confused. And then your friends and confidants come and they, you say to them, do something. And what do they do? They hit you in the face on the other side. <laughs> it's like with friends like these, who needs enemies? <laughs> there is this battle going on. And Yahweh, once again, has a serious body blow to Pharaoh. And yet he still has a hard heart and still says, hey, we've, I've got my magicians here. We can turn water into blood. Great. Turning the page. Plague number two. The frogs. 
We're going to see, is this going to continue to escalate? Is Pharaoh going to remain as hard-hearted? Or at some point, are we going to see a chink in his armor? Are we going to start to see, perhaps, that he's willing to think, think about things differently? Verse 2 of chapter 8, he says, If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The river shall swarm with frogs. They shall come up into your palace, into your bedchamber, and into your bed, and into the houses of your officials and of your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Folks, there are frogs everywhere. You take a step, you step on a frog. You sit down, you sit on a frog. You lay down, you lay on five frogs. They are everywhere. Then skipping down to verse 6, And the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and brought frogs up on the land of Egypt. (laughs) It's like, do you need to huddle again? Is this the best we can come up with? Is it we're just going to duplicate more frogs? Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord. Pharaoh says, pray to Yahweh. He may not have known the name of Yahweh just a few chapters ago, but he knows his name now. And we see the first sign that Pharaoh's perspective may be changing a bit. I don't know who your God is, and I didn't know his name just a few days ago, but now I am asking you, Moses and Aaron, would you please pray to your God, Yahweh? Would you pray to him? Would you ask him to take the frogs away? And Moses' response is, sure, he can do that. When would you like the frogs to go away? And I don't know about you. I would say, like, right now. And instead, Pharaoh says, "Uh, tomorrow. (laughs) Tomorrow? I I don't know. Some commentators wonder if it was just one more test. Pharaoh one more time saying, okay, if if Yahweh is who he says, I'm going to pick the time. And Moses says, you can pick any time that you want. This Yahweh, this God of the universe, he can tell you when the frogs come and he can tell you when they leave. He can do it all. You want them to leave tomorrow? They'll leave tomorrow. And so it happens. Moses prays that the, to God that the frogs leave tomorrow and they do. But then once again, when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them. The fight goes on. Major blow by Yahweh. Pharaoh seems to acknowledge that he may be fighting a superior God, and yet there is something in his heart, there is some pride in him that doesn't allow him to recognize it fully. And so the fight goes on. We get to the gnats. Big shift here. First two, magicians can turn the blood into water into more blood. Frogs, sure, we can do that, more frogs. We get to the gnats, and all of a sudden the magicians say, we can't do this. And Pharaoh is like, thank goodness. Thank goodness. I mean, he was, that's what he was hoping for. But then they say this to Pharaoh. Look at, look at verse 19. The magicians say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Right? So you have Pharaoh in this corner with his wise men, his magicians. These are the people that are providing him counsel, and they are whispering in his ear like, Pharaoh, this, everything that's happening, this, this is from God. I, I don't know this God. It's, if you look there, it's not Lord, it's not Yahweh, but this is a God who is superior to the gods of Egypt. We need, you, you just got to know this. 
They're sort of beginning to tip their hand. We get to the flies, verse 22, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. For the first time we read in the the fourth plague that God's people in Goshen are going to be separated. They are not going to experience any of the negative effects. He wants it to be clear that the people of Israel are going to be protected. They are going to be saved. But But the plagues are going to continue. Another punch, another punch. Yahweh is saying to Pharaoh, how much longer? How much longer is this going to go on? When is somebody going to call the fight? The dominance is starting to be seen by many. And then we see that for the first time, Pharaoh, after the, gnat, after the flies come, in verse 25, Pharaoh summons Moses and says, okay, go, sacrifice to your God. You, that's what you wanted. You wanted a little short trip, vacation? Go, it's fine. You can go, but do it within the land. And he goes on and says, no, we got to go. It wouldn't be appropriate for us to sacrifice here. And you see this movement between Pharaoh is starting to go back and forth of recognizing he's inferior, recognizing that he has nothing to really stand up to against Yahweh. And yet he can't quite go through with it. I, I remember as a kid, I, when I read this story, I think about my childhood and I had brothers who were three and five years old. I was, in this scenario, the Pharaoh character and they were much more like Yahweh. And so we would be wrestling and fighting, and they would get me in some really painful move. I don't know if anybody has older siblings who perform this to them, but you'd take something or do something that they didn't want you to do, or they just would be in a bad mood, and they would start beating you up. And so they would get you in an uncomfortable position. They would say, I am going to hold you like this until you say uncle. I never knew why it was uncle. That never made any sense. But they said, until you acknowledge that I am superior to you in some way, I'm not going to let go. And for some reason, I would hold out to the last possible minute. I don't know why I just didn't say it right away. That would have been far less painful. But I would hold out as long as I could, and I would say, uncle, and they'd let me go. And then as soon as I was outside of arm's reach, I'd be like, I take it back. I take it back. (laughs) And I would start to run. As I'm reading this section in the story, I'm like, this is all playing out again. You can see the human nature of it. As long as Pharaoh is under the thumb, as long as he is clearly under Yahweh's control, he is beginning to say, okay, I get it. I'll I'll do whatever you ask me to do, Yahweh. I'll do whatever you ask Moses and Aaron. You can go take your trip. But as soon as there's any kind of a break, as soon as there's any relentment, all of a sudden he swells back up. I didn't really mean it. I didn't really mean it. So we've got to go on to the next round. Now we see that the livestock are going to be impacted. And in verse 2 of chapter 9, the commentators wonder if, if even Yahweh is growing impatient. We, we read, for if you refuse to let them go and still hold on to them. In some ways he's saying, when are you going to give up, Pharaoh? How much more obvious does it have to be, get to you that you are losing this fight? You have no chance here. Yahweh is growing impatient. How much longer does it have to go on? How many more people need to be hurt. We go on to the next plague, the boils. We read in verse 11 of chapter 9, even the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils afflicted the magicians as well as all, the, all of the Egyptians. Right? Even his inner circle, even the ones who had power to change the water into the blood and those who could create more frogs, even now they are coming out and saying, we can't stand it anymore, Pharaoh. How much longer are you going to hold on? When is somebody going to ring the bell and say, the fight is over? Things are getting out of hand. 
Not only are all the people being impacted, but most importantly, the magicians are thinking, we are suffering. It goes on. We get to the thunder and the hail, the seventh plague. You should know that the Egyptians had a a god for vegetation, Osiris. He was in charge of watching over all the vegetation. So now imagine we have this plague coming with thunder and lightning, and it is going to destroy everything. Everything that's uncovered is going to be destroyed. The decimation of the people of Egypt and of their land is just stunning. They're losing their comforts. They are losing all of their livestock. They are going to lose all of their crops. And Pharaoh remains unwilling to change. Verse 15, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you. This is, this is what Yahweh is saying. I could have stretched out my hand and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But this is why I have let you live. Again, we see the purpose. This is why I have let you live. To show you my power to make my name resound through all the earth. God wants the people of Egypt, God wants the people of Israel to know His name and to know that He is the one whose name is above every other name. He is the one who has the power. He is the one who is going to win the fight. There is no doubt. Just recognize your fate. Acknowledge that, Pharaoh, that you are not who you think that you are. There is someone who is greater. Acknowledge His name and this can be all over with. Verse 20 of chapter 9. We see that there's, even, there's getting to be more defections. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried their slaves and livestock off to a secure place. You can start to see the room shift. We had Yahweh and the people of Israel. We began with Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. And now we start to see some people who are trying to make their way over to the other side. Pharaoh, I hope you don't mind, but I'm starting to think that this might end up to be the winning team. Even the Egyptians are seeing it. It's becoming increasingly obvious. Unfortunately, there is one person for whom it is not becoming obvious. Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he is unable to see it. We move to the last two plagues. Chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his officials in order that I may show these signs of mine among them and that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I have made fools of the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them so that you may know that I am the Lord. So you may know that I am the Lord. So you may know that I am the Lord. Yahweh is saying this whole fight, the whole thing, it just has one purpose. I want all of you to know. I want all the Israelites and all the Egyptians to know who are witnessing this that there is a God who is powerful. He rules all other gods. He is the one. I want you all to know. And yet Pharaoh remains hard-hearted. In verse 7, Pharaoh's official said to him, How long should this fellow be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord and their God. Do, not, do you not understand that the Egypt is ruined? We've lost everything, they said. They're saying to him, Our source of life has been tainted. All of our cattle are dead. 
all of our crops are gone. Pharaoh, we've lost everything. How much longer are you going to hold on to this pipe dream that you are greater than this other God? Acknowledge him. Put your knee on the ground. Acknowledge him. Verse 13, So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When the morning came, the east wind had brought the locusts. They come in, they devastate, and then the wind blows out. We read in the commentaries that there was a, a, a familiar wind in March and April that would blow from the east. And the Egyptian believed there was a god of the wind. No surprise, there was a god for everything. There was a god of the wind who would come from the east, but this time the god from the east brought with it locusts. Yahweh proving his superiority one more time. But then when they relent, God all of a sudden moves the wind back and it goes to the west. He's saying, I rule all things. I rule the wind and the waves. I rule every aspect of creation. And then the final plague we're going to look at tonight. Darkness. One final punch in this series of punches. The sun god of Ra was one of the most well-known and feared gods of Egypt. And Yahweh comes and says, your god Ra, I've got bad news for you. I'm going to bring in darkness. And for three days there will be no light. Ra will be covered. One more sign. One more punch. One more clear example that it is Yahweh who is going to win this match. It is Yahweh whose name is going to be known. And Pharaoh, you can give up now or you can give up later, but the stakes are only going to go up. The pain is only going to become greater because the battle is mine. I will win this fight. We've made our way through nine of the plagues. And one of my fears, as I mentioned at the beginning, was this is such a familiar story. It's easy to think, I already know the plagues. But as I was studying this week, I was reminded again, uh, the following Jesus Christ isn't about knowing the plagues. The question isn't, do I know the plagues? The question is, do I know God? Do I know Yahweh? And we hear it over and over again in the text that Yahweh just says, I just want you to know I'm doing all this so that you'll know and that your children will know and your grandchildren will know that I am Yahweh. I am God. And so tonight, I want us to be able to walk away and to know this God and to know this God better. If you remember the plagues, you remember the plagues, but you could know the plagues and not know God. And I'm much more concerned that we know God. There's two reflections I want to finish with. The first is, I, I read, the, read about the plagues and some, there's a few direct places where God says, hey, I, I could have done it another way. I chose to do it this way. And it reminds me that our God is not often in a hurry. Our God is not often in a hurry. The people of Israel had been enslaved for 400 years. Now they're going through plague by plague by plague. We, we hear this criticism in the New Testament. You may remember the story in John chapter 11. Jesus' friend Lazarus is sick 
and they say, Jesus, hurry up. He's, he's very sick. He's going to die soon. If you can get there in time, you might be able to save him. And he has other plans. And when Lazarus' sister Martha greets him after Lazarus has died, she says to him, Jesus, if you would have been here sooner, you could have done something about this. Why aren't you in such, why aren't you in a hurry? Jesus says, I've got it. I know how this story ends. There's no need to be alarmed. Then we see it ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Father sends the Savior of the world in the form of a baby. We have four young kids at home, and I just have to tell you, if I was going to send the Savior to anything, I would not send a baby. (laughs) It is sleepless nights, and it is diapers, and it is hand-feeding. It takes a tremendous amount of care. It is like, this is going to take forever to show up. Our God is not often in a hurry. Many of God's greatest acts were prepared in the slow cook oven, not in the microwave. He is willing to wait. He knows how the story ends. And he is patient because he wants the people of old and the people of today that he, to know that he is the great I am. So if you face places in your life where you think, I wish God would move a little more quickly. Or if you've ever wondered, why did God, has he not fixed this problem yet? Why hasn't he answered my question? Or why hasn't he helped me figure out what my major is supposed to be? Or my career? Or what relationships I should be in? Or what relationships I should be out? If he hasn't answered your questions yet, it's okay. Be patient. We serve a God who is not often in a hurry. But don't mistake his not, being in a, his not being in a hurry for his inability to move. Because the second reflection I want you to know is our God keeps his promises. And our God always wins the fight. Now, it may not be in the way that we anticipated, It may cost us more than we would have liked for it to cost us. But our God keeps his promises and he always wins the fight. Now I know some of us gathered here tonight have things that we've been waiting for a long time. And so I don't say that lightly. I don't mean to pour salt in anybody who's been longing for something that they haven't received. I know some of us here have family members at home, parents, siblings, cousins, some of who have cancer, and you are praying, and you are pleading with God that he would act and move. You're praying Martha's prayer of like, Lord, would you come and fix this? And I know some of you gathered here have family members who are far from God, And you have been praying and pleading that God would intervene and that he would use just a small amount of his power that he has displayed over the course of the history. Just a little bit is all you need to make this wrong right. And you've been waiting. All I can tell you 
is that when we turn over our shoulders and look at the pages of history, we can see that God always keeps his promises. And if God hasn't kept your, your promise that he's made to you yet, then refer to point number one. Our God is not often in a hurry. And he does not measure time the way that we do. But God always keeps his promises. And God won this fight, and he will win the next one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the ways in which you have moved throughout history to accomplish your purposes. When we slow down and we watch and we read and we learn about how you have acted in the past on behalf of your people, we are amazed and we are encouraged and we are strengthened. And yet some of us, God, when we look at the, the details of our own lives and we look at the pain and we look at the unanswered questions, uh, we wonder and we have our doubts about whether you can or whether you will move on our behalf. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would move in us and that you would gather up our doubts and our fears and our worries and that you would remind us again tonight that you are God, that you are Yahweh, and that you long for all people to know your name. And the times, God, in which we are waiting, when things take longer than we would like, would you remind us, God, that you long to see us flourish and you long for us, offer all good things. Would you make us patient? Would you, by your spirit, allow us to trust you just a little bit longer? Just a little bit longer. God, we acknowledge that you again, that we acknowledge again tonight that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the great I am. And we bow in need before your throne and we pray this because we can through the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said together, amen.